Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. It's 2022, we're back and this is a special bonus episode to get you all stoked for a year of riding and racing. We're going to be catching up and getting all the details of Nico Malali's awesome race program where he's putting together his own team and riding a bike that he's designed. But before that, I want to thank our supporting partners who make this podcast possible. And this month, that's Kotick and the Strength Factory. If you follow the podcast, then you'll know that I ride a Kotick Rocket Max, and before that I had a Flare Max. So I've been on Kotick for around four years now, and I've also got a Gen 2 Kotick Soul Hardtail that I've had for about 15 years. Kotick make awesome bikes, that's a given, but this month I want to share some of the non-product things that draw me to Kotick, and the reasons why Kotick are also an awesome brand doing great things for mountain biking and for our planet in general. Kotick believes in doing things right, from the design all the way to their impact on the wider world. And over the next four episodes, I'll be telling you a bit about just a few of these things, like their support for trail advocacy, their work with Trash Free Trails, their awesome owners club and Women Are Still Rides. Kotick have really made me feel a part of the family, and that's the same way that they treat all of their customers. That customer focus has been really clear during the pandemic. With parts and short supply, Kotick will do everything they can to help you by offering rolling chassis builds so you can swap over good parts that you have on your current bike. You can even send them parts you've sourced and they will build them onto your new bike for you. It really is your bike built for you. Give them a call and you'll get to speak to an actual human who will help you through the process of getting your dream build ready to go. The UK manufacturing of the suspension bikes also means that they often have stock when others don't. You can check out all they have to offer by heading over to kotick.co.uk. Back in November, Ben from the Strength Factory joined me to chat about fitness for the everyday rider, which was based around their new over 40s mountain bike program. The episode has been super popular. And if you've not already listened, then you can find it at downtimepodcast.com forward slash everyday dash fitness. January is a month where tons of people are thinking about being fitter, getting leaner and getting quicker on their bike as a result. Unfortunately, most people bite off more than they can chew and don't stick with it. But with the Strength Factory's over 40s mountain bike program, it's not some crazy plan that promises you abs in two weeks. This is an achievable 20 week plan for everyone designed to fit around the ups and downs that life throws at us so that you can stick at it, be consistent and see and feel yourself improve. The program is written so that you can do it at a gym, but you can also do it at home with just a few resistance bands. So whatever life or COVID gives us in 2022, you can keep going and be in the best possible condition when the dry trails return. So if you want to be better this year, then head over to thestrengthfactory.uk now and check it out. There's a couple of other things that I'd love you to check out too. And the first of those is Downtime EP, a collaboration with the wonderful Miss Spence Summers. Downtime EP is mountain biking's newest biannual print journal. If you fancy reading some great journalism surrounded by amazing photography printed on beautiful paper, then head over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP and get your order in now to get hold of the very first issue. Secondly, if you want to represent the podcast and help support what I'm doing, then you could grab yourself some downtime merch by heading to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. It's all organic, made with a supply chain using renewable energy, printed to order and shipped using no single use plastics. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. Please make sure you're following the podcast on whatever platform you listen. There's going to be a button there that says follow or subscribe. So hit that now. It's free and it means you'll get every episode as soon as it drops. If you can't find the button, then you can head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe, where I've got links to all the major platforms there to help you. I'd also love it if you can give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook, where I'm at Downtime Podcast. It's the best place to keep up to date with what's going on. And it's always lovely to hear from you in the comments and the messages there. 
All right, when Nico got in touch to tell me that he was designing his own bike and putting his own program together for 2022, I couldn't have been more excited for him. Nico has already built two bike parks, put together a race series and done heaps for US mountain biking in general. So you can bet that he's going to go all in on this one too. We sat down to find out where the idea came from, what drove him to do it and what it takes to pull all this together. Find out how much a World Cup season actually costs and what Nico felt he needed around him in order to perform. We chat about how Nico approached designing the bike and getting it built, as well as finding out when we might be able to buy one. We'll be catching up with Nico throughout the year during our World Cup shows, but I hope that this chat whets your appetite for what Nico's up to and for downhill racing in general. So, without further ado, here's Nico Malali. Nico Malali, welcome back once again to the Downtime Podcast. Uh, we're just after Christmas. How's things? Have you had a good one? Yeah, good, man. Good to be back. I dug my microphone out from the Snowshoe World Cup. It was out of battery, but <laughs> luckily we got it going. Um, yeah, I've been good. Had a busy off season, but I've been good. Yeah, busy for sure. Well, last time we spoke, it was kind of just after the Snowshoe race, the grand finale for the season, and you were kicking off your annual uh raffle of your your bike and your kit um how's that gone because that's all closed i think you've sorted out all the prizes and everything now yeah yeah for sure i wanted to say thanks to all the downtime listeners because we had a bunch of people that bought a poster made a donation it went super well i raised twenty thousand two hundred dollars which was awesome um i raised a little more than that when I did it before with canned aid which is a big non-for-profit and they did most of the advertising for it so doing it myself to raise that much money was pretty cool, I thought. I mean, it was kind of a no-brainer. Intense gave me the bike to ride, and I just paid it forward by raffling it off. It was a little bit of admin, I guess. But we were able to raise a bunch of money by doing it and just ordered a fleet of kids' bikes that we'll have at Ride Canuga, which is a bike park down the street from my house that I helped to build and, and I'm a part owner in. So we'll have the kids' bikes there. And the kids will be able to ride them for free anytime they want. So I'm um, looking forward to seeing the kids out there shredding. Yeah, that's awesome. 20 grand. That must go quite a long way on kids' bikes as well. Yeah, even good quality ones. Yeah, I mean, the tough thing now is to find anything in stock. So um, <laughs> I, actually, somebody reached out to me on my Instagram post. It was uh, the Green Horned Bike Company. It's a guy from Montana who um, he just started ordering some frames during the pandemic. Um, he had a local shop and just ordered some enduro frames and was kind of branding them as his and had a bunch of extra small size that worked with 26 inch wheels. And he reached out to me and said that he had these bikes and he had parts to build five right now. And they're definitely a lot higher end than maybe you need for a kid's bike, but, um, they're like full carbon 150 mil travel enduro bikes and the extra small size with the 26 inch wheels, I think will be perfect for kids that are like maybe 10 to 14 years old, depending on their size. Um, so hopefully they can take them for a rip and get hooked on mountain biking and, uh, love it just as much as all of us do. That's the nice. kind of awesome. the whole goal behind it. Good stuff, man. Yeah, it's cool to hear about stuff like that. So yeah, we're here, I guess, to talk mostly about your uh, your plans for 2022 because it's a, certainly a bit different from the norm. Um, so yeah, I guess wind wind it back and tell us when when did this sort of idea, this concept, start bubbling around in your in your head? 
Yeah, I guess it was uh, the idea of like wanting to make my own bike, not tied with any brand, was something that I kind of dreamed about for a long time, but had no idea how to put into action, I guess. Um, there's always been like with teams that I race for some constraining parameters of a certain suspension layout or bikes that they had in line, um, or ideas that they were kind of stuck to from previous generations that were kind of tying us to using certain designs or just stuck into certain, I guess, ways of thinking, um, when it came to working on tuning and, and designing the race bikes. And I learned a lot along the way, um, with each brand I rode for, um, a little bit on track. I was pretty young when I was on the team, but, um, I, I kind of, I don't know. I look back on those days and wish I still didn't care and just hopped on the bike and rode it with, with no concern for the setup. <laughs> it worked out pretty good a couple of times. Um, <laughs> but then like when I, when I rode for some of the other teams, like Scott, I learned a whole lot because I really wanted to like when I switched to Scott, I was, I was excited. It was the first time I was changing teams. It was a new sort of deal for me. And, um, I got to work with Ben Walker, who is, I guess he was in charge of progressive bikes at the time, which was their gravity bikes. And Ben was super cool because he explained everything to me in a way that I could relate and understand to it because Ben wasn't an engineer. He was a rider. He did done a trail building. I could like, I could relate to Ben a lot. And he would explain the way that the bikes work to me in a way that I could really understand it. And I just learned so much. Um, I thought the bike wasn't very good. The first, like the two years that I was on Scott, it was that design was maybe not the best race bike. And we were trying to do everything we could to make it a better race bike. So figuring out like why I didn't like it and what things we could do to change taught me a ton about the bike. And I guess I was just scratching the surface, but maybe sparked my interest in it. And then, um, when I rode for YT, I guess there wasn't as much that I could do like input wise on the bike. They kind of, they had a good bike and they had their design kind of set in stone and you could say what they wanted to do. Um, but I understood a little bit more why I liked that. And then with intense this past three years, it's been like a whole process of even like riding custom frames, um, getting to decide my geometry because we were getting the frames welded in California for us to race. Um, so I could kind of give my specs for what I wanted to ride and learned a lot more about it through that. And, um, yeah, just took an interest in it really. And that kind of sparked my brain thinking like, Hmm, if I didn't have to stick to this design, maybe I could get this out of the bike, or maybe I could find this little thing that I liked in this bike. And, uh, so anyway, I started playing with the d design program called linkage. It's a uh, pretty simple to use old program. Um, but I, I never went to school for engineering. I don't have any background in it. And for me, somebody who just kind of understands how the bikes feel on the trail and can relate that to the designs. It was a perfect program for me to kind of mess around and learn and see like what changes do what and how that affects the whole kinematic of the bike. So I started playing with that program. Um, actually Isaac Livson taught me how to use it. He, 
I'm, I don't know if anybody on the podcast knows him, but he, uh, he's, he's from Norway. He lives here in Knoxville now, and he's been welding some of his own bikes that he does free ride videos. He raced and qualified for a couple world cups last year. Um, he did really good in Leger and then he backflipped the last jump at snowshoe in his race run. He, uh, he's like one of the smartest dudes I know. Um, but just kind of an, an outlier in the sense that like, uh, he's got crazy ideas and he wants to do things differently. And I was really inspired by him, like welding his own frames and riding them. And I guess it kind of showed me that like, it was possible. Like he was, he did it. Like he was coming to like our local races and the one race he, he, I think one of the first ones he beat me on his homemade bike. And I was like, well, the bike works well and it didn't fall apart. So like his idea of what he wants to design is custom to him. He's a tall dude that rides flat pedals. He had some different theories, but if he could design a bike that works perfect for him, then maybe I could do the same thing. And that kind of got me going down this path. And then, um, I just wasn't having the, I wasn't getting on great with the intense bike. Um, and we were kind of stuck with using that design and not just the bike, but like the, the team itself was great, but some of the components I, I didn't think were the best. And I don't know, I could kind of see by the results or just watching Aaron and I weren't really comfortable with it. And I just thought like at this point in my career, it's, it's kind of like now or never, I guess, if I want to try to go and fulfill the dream of like racing on my own bike. So I, uh, I took the step and, uh, went for that direction. I guess it started like beginning of this year that I'd thought about it and was like putting some feelers out about how it would be possible. Um, and then halfway through the season, I just made my mind up that if I was going to be able to do it and have like support from sponsors and be able to have bikes ready to race for like a March Lords world cup one, I needed to commit to it in like July of last year. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the path that I went into, into getting, I guess, interested in this and, and getting started. Um, a big part of it too, was when I started like thinking, how can I make the bike? Cause like you can come up with a lot of designs or theories, but to actually execute it is something else. And, um, so I was looking at like, okay, where can I get this bike made? I first asked Isaac, Hey, can you make me a bunch of these race bikes? And he, uh, he was like, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my own stuff. Like I don't, I'm going to school full time. And like, I don't even have enough time to make the bikes that I want to ride. I can't like make a bunch of bikes for you. Like he actually made me one trail bike. That was like the first bike I've ever, I guess, designed and rode. And, um, and that was really nice of him to do that, but it just, it takes always longer than you think and more resources. So, um, I was kind of stumped on like, how am I going to actually pull this off? And I was looking around at different like custom frame builders or even like entertaining the idea of going to Asia to get them made, which at this time seemed like, I mean, the lead times would just be so long. There's like everybody in the bike industry is taking up space and trying to get their stuff made. So if I come over, I'm like, Hey, can you make me two frames? They'll be like, yeah, and <laughs> six years from now we can get them to you. 
<laughs> so it wasn't really a viable option to go that route um, this year, especially. But um, I, I reached out to Frank the Welder, who is a custom frame builder located in Vermont. And I remember him from growing up in the Northeast. I would race all the local races and he was working for Sinister Bikes and then started his own bikes called FTW. And he was making them all in the Northeast and they were for like our small region, they were fairly popular that you'd see a, a sinister R9 downhill bike, which is like an army tank of a downhill bike, but was made right in, by Frank, designed by Frank in his factory or factory garage. Um, so I, I, I knew him and, um, just reach out to him. And like a lot of the places I reached out to, I'd like never heard back from, I tried like a couple of BMX companies and was like, Hey, I see you got, cause they do a lot of American made BMX stuff here. And none of them really wanted to take it on. Um, or some just never got back. And Frank like emailed me back like within an hour and was like, Hey, like, I remember you little kid racing a Rocky mountain downhill bike at Platykill. Um, I've been following along with what you're doing and like what you're saying sounds super cool. I've been making a bunch of custom bikes, repairing bikes. He's been doing some production runs of like road and gravel bikes, but he hadn't been doing something that was like maybe as interesting to him, um, in the past 10 years. So what I propose, like, Hey, this is, this is my idea. Like, is it possible for you to execute like building these frames? he was excited. Like it got his blood flowing, I guess. Yeah. And, um, so he was stoked on it and like emailed me back right away, set up a phone call with him. And it's kind of like was things started to fall into place. And like that momentum, I guess, got going in the right direction that it, like I wasn't hitting any or enough dead ends to stop me. <laughs> and I just kept, uh, <laughs> carrying on with it. So, um, I guess that, I guess that's the backstory of how I, came up with this idea. That's awesome, man. Were you, were you at your end of contract with Intense at the end of 21 then? Yeah. So I had, I, I rode for Intense for three years. Um, I signed a one year, the first year when it was new um, or when it switched over from the old IFR team to Aaron taking it over. And then after the first year, they were happy. Like I won the national championship and that was kind of big for Intense, which is a US brand and had been getting like some decent enough results at the World Cups and had a good presence with um, what I was doing here in the US. And uh, and they were happy. So we re-signed for another two years and it was a pretty similar program to what I'd been on. Like the kind of carried over a lot of the similar stuff from the YT mob when I was on there with Aaron. So it was familiar. And, um, yeah, I just, I guess towards the end of it, I just kind of wanted to do this and I wasn't doing great and feeling great on the intense bike. So, um, I called Aaron owned the team the past three years and I, I just called him. He, he wasn't at the races a lot because he had a bunch of injuries the past couple of years. So we were at one of the races in Europe, maybe in, august and i figured i'd take the initiative like instead of trying to like see what they could offer me and weigh it up with this i was like just made it up in my mind that like this is what i wanted to do and i just called him and told him that i, I didn't really give him all the details because i still wasn't sure if it would maybe fall apart so i didn't say like that i was gonna make this bike and race it because it's kind of out there and i wanted to 
make it a little bit more of a sure thing before I told people about it, just because I didn't want to like talk about something that wasn't going to happen. But I, I just told him I was looking to like do my own thing next year, get on good equipment. And, um, so yeah, I just took, I just called him and said I was out on the intense deal and he was appreciative. I think like the main thing, like when you work with people is to like give them the respect of giving them a heads up and give them the time if they're going to like have a team next year and want to find somebody else, like give them the time to, to do all that and not be last minute with it. So yeah, it was cool. And, and Aaron's still like one of my best friends. I talked to him for an hour on the phone the other night and he just bought the house that lives or that's right next to my brother. So he's like at Windrock training. He's like literally next door. Like we, he walks across the driveway, gets in the van and we go to the track to ride. And I'm, I'm sure it'll be the same when he comes out again. Um, he told me he was moving to Tennessee full time, which is pretty cool. Sweet. Um, not in that house, but he's moving more in the city and then he's going to drive over whenever he wants to ride at the mountain. So anyway, um, yeah, cool. contract was up with intense and it all went smoothly, I think to, to leave with them. Yeah. 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 And am I right in thinking, did you spend any time on the world cup circuit as a privateer? Or were you straight, was your first season at world cup with Trek factory racing? Uh, yeah, I was pretty lucky. I, um, my first season as a junior, I was on, it was Trek world racing then. Um, when it was run by Martin Whiteley, it was, uh, Trek world racing and they had the cross country team and the downhill team together under that umbrella with, um, it was like Lucas and Matthias Flukinger. And then my first year it was with, uh, Justin Leo and Andrew Neithling and Tracy Mosley. And, um, the team changed a lot. I rode for them for five years, but, um, yeah, I was lucky enough to be on that team since the, since my first world cup. So I've been super well supported in that regard. Yeah. Fair play. So if you've not been kind of at the world cup as a privateer before, I guess, would you consider this a privateer program? I think it's, it's one of those things that's kind of hard to say, I guess. I, I wouldn't consider it that. Um, just because I have a lot of support, I'd say like more privateers are like up and coming and, and, and like doing what they can to make a name for themselves and maybe don't have like all the resources that the bigger teams have. Whereas like I'm registering as a UCI team myself, just with me on it. And I'll be supported by a lot of brands that I want to work with that are going to give me financial backing it takes to do this properly and all the equipment that I need. I'll have like a van and a tent in Europe. So I guess more so I'm like putting my own program together than necessarily being a privateer. Okay. Fair play. So how do you go about like the logistics of all of that working out, like what you need, how much it's going to cost? Because I'm guessing you've never really, that's been dealt with by the teams that you've ridden with in the past. And now suddenly you're the team owner and you've got to do all that yourself. (laughs) I was shocked how much this stuff was going to (laughs) cost. Um, I definitely took it for granted. Like teams I've ridden for in the past, I was like, Hey, how about you guys pay me a little bit more money this year? Like negotiate the salary a little bit, but you don't realize like how much the mechanic they're paying to help you, the travel for you and that person, the, all the meals, the hotels, like everything adds up. Um, and I learned pretty quickly how much all that stuff costs when I put this budget together for myself. So I actually got Martin Whiteley to help me with this. Um, and it kind of worked out where 
YT was taking a break from racing as he was able to maybe put some more time into this. Um, he committed to helping me, I guess, before he knew that the team was going to go forward or not, but he's helped me a ton through my whole career, whether it was even when I was on Trek or, um, even the past three years, like I've got him to help a lot with contract. Like he's so good with the contract stuff. He finds like, even just like spelling errors and like things in the contract that you would think the person who wrote it would like grammatically get right. And, um, but more than that, just like looking for things that are in the rider's best interest. They're not going to say like, Oh, we need you for this amount of time to do a photo shoot or product testing, like making sure that that's written, that it's not going too far, um, requesting your time and like mm -hmm. making sure that the like costs of these requests are covered and just looking out for like who owns what assets. Um, a lot of the contracts we went back and forth with because a big part of my program this year is like the media around this new project and the, making sure that I would own all that, all that, um, content. So like Martin has helped me for years with this stuff. And then going in on this new project, he helped me to make a budget for my whole season. Um, he helped me to like know which hotels, to book um like what ones have worked for his team in the past um flight logistics um and then like the big thing too is like having a base in europe so uh he helped me by buying a van in europe and and registering it to his company that i will i guess be a private contractor of and can use so it's like my van that he owns which mm -hmm. is actually a great trade because I registered the YT mob semi truck here in the U S this year <laughs> and did all the paperwork for that, uh, as a favor to him. So I'd say this is like a really nice trade that he's doing it for me with the van. Um, and the, it's actually pretty cool. The van is a, it was the van that he bought for the global racing team in 2001. It's like a Mercedes T one N sprinter, the, like the original sprinter, yeah. which Chris, I'm sure you'll agree. Like Mercedes makes the best diesel motors, not Cummins. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, he bought that. I, he bought that van back then and, um, used it for that. And then also Honda G cross and a little bit in the beginning of Trek world racing. And then he sold it to his neighbor who's a plumber and his neighbors <laughs> used it for the past 10 years and then bought it back from him. And I'm going to be using this van for, my season this year and it was actually like cool like when we were planning some of the he helped me to like register for the races and like do the, a lot of the stuff for the pits like how much space like what's the footprint of the pit setup and he like pulled up like a honda g-cross folder with like what the size of the tent was to know like here's the size of the van and the what your what your like square meters are at each race Amazing. So it was just cool that like Martin, like he knows all that and like has some, I guess, um, history and heritage in, in the program. Yeah. But yeah, so Martin helped me a ton with like the budget and laying all this stuff out. And then, um, I got Ancho Perez to be my mechanic who was Angel Suarez's mechanic when he was on YT. And then he was the mechanic for ocean and guy Johnson this past year. Um, he was doing both of the juniors, which was a big job for him. Um, like both in the same category at the same time. And he's Spanish and Spanish based. So he'll be able to like drive this van for me to all the races and, um, just have like having someone based in Europe and 
can look after everything over there is super helpful. And then he, uh, he like went to school as, as an auto mechanic. So he'll be able to fix this old van. I would, I would not trust anyone with it, but <laughs> Andrew will have it running great. So, um, yeah, I guess that's kind of like how I figured out the budget and how, how it all worked. Yeah. Well, how do you decide what your priorities are, right? Cause you could, you could go all in and you could have a huge van and a chef and, you know, mechanic, masseuse, all this kind of stuff. Like what, what were the important things for you to put around yourself? Cause ultimately like this is a really cool project, but you want results, right? You still want to perform. Yeah, for sure. And like, the thing is a lot of the guys that you're racing against have all of those things and a guy on track looking at lines and, uh, so, so, so many resources. So, um, for me, like I, I really needed a mechanic that was going to be European based and was like, no bullshit, like not going to be tinkering around doing science experiments with my brakes, like <laughs> somebody who just knows how to make the bike work and as intended and like, and then we're done. Like just, I want every time I get on it, it, be exactly how I want it and no questions asked. Like we don't need to try to do anything. Like we're doing enough crazy shit with the frame. Like we don't, need, and, and really I'm not, but like I don't need any more variables there. Yeah. So finding a really good mechanic that I got on well with was going to be important to me. And I talked to Ancho at the last race and like, we just kind of like after the race, having a couple beers was like, what do you think? Like, and he, at that point he wasn't sure what the YT was going to do. And then it, kind of worked out that that came to an end and this opportunity came up for him. So, um, that was important. I'd say the mechanic was like the first piece of the puzzle. And then for me, I felt like having a physio at the race would be super helpful because I, a lot of races this year would like, I'd wake up in the morning and feel like I was a hundred years old. And I don't think that's going to get any better as I get older of 28. And, um, just like downhill for some people that can stay off the ground and not run into trees, <laughs> the career can be super long, but I've taken my fair share of slams and I feel like in some ways I'm tough enough to get up and walk away from them, but you still carry a little bit of it with you. And, uh, I think having like a physio to be able to help you with like doing massages, doing recovery stuff, um, anything like that, just like warming up as well before going out. Like I thought that would be something that would really help me. And I wanted to try to make happen if I could. And anyway, so I got, um, I reached out to Amanda Bergeron who I worked with on Trek and she works for Yeti now doing the EW. She's a physio for their team at the EWS. And we only had like a conflict at the, I think Mount St. Anne maybe was the only one. Um, maybe snowshoe too. But anyway, she's based in Paris and she's US. She's from New York. So um, it kind of works out perfect where like we can communicate really well, but she's European based and can help to speak the language over there. And um, we just get along well. So I think and it'd be nice to have like a woman keeping everybody kind of like team mom um, will be nice to have at the races. So that was important to me and I think will help. And then, so she'll do all the European races for me. And then, um, I worked with a friend of mine, Gabby Warner, who is a massage therapist from a town I grew up in. And she's like, come to a bunch of races has helped me help Brooke and George when, um, 
they were on the team with me has helped Aaron when he was on the team. And, uh, she's always like come to a couple of us races where she could. So she's going to do the U S world cup and Mount St. Anne for me. So it kind of like split between the two of them, which worked out well because I didn't, I didn't have to cover as much travel and, um, kind of filled every race for me. So yeah, having that like physio, I think will be really good. Um, I didn't spend a ton of money buying this old van or like, I'm going to have a decent pit. Like I, I looked at the pit, like what, um, Norco and GT have that's like really big. I think they're like four meter by four meter easy ups that are mm-hmm. nice, but like easy to set up. And for one person will be totally suitable for what I need. Um, I definitely won't be like over the back, uh, tailgate of a rental van, but it's also not like specialized gravity's pit. So I think that'll be fine, um, for what I need. And then like accommodation wise, I pretty much went with most of the stuff that Martin was used to booking for his teams, which was really easy because he had all the contacts knew the hotels could make the bookings really efficient, um, and was able to like get the budget, like the, like the outline of the price and everything. So the hotels are pretty nice. I'm definitely not roughing it, but they're like conveniently located to the track and, um, being comfortable out there at the race is like, it's worth it if you can afford it. And so we, we just, yeah, we like outlined the budget, like what this was going to cost and then went to try to get it from sponsors as much money as we could. Yeah. And, um, luckily like came out balanced, which was awesome. So, nice. uh, yeah, like, that's how it kind of, kind of worked out. Yeah. Do you feel, uh, comfortable sharing like how much you had to pull together to get that to work for a season? Yeah. So the budget for, for the four of us to go to all the races and that would be not paying me and not paying Logan. So the four people would be my mechanic, our physio, which is Amanda and in the U S Gabby. And then my brother, Logan, who's going to do video and make, um, kind of document the whole process of what we're doing. Um, and, and me and Logan, not taking a salary from this, like I hope to make money back, kind of invest into it. And then, um, Logan's doing other video stuff that he can do this as like a, I guess, portfolio building project, but the budget for us to go to do all the races, $160,000 us, Uh which is more than I expected it would be. (laughs) Um, but I think actually like when you look at it compared to other teams, like maybe the impact that we'll have being unique, um, hopefully getting back to getting some good results for myself and getting good coverage at the race because I'm racing my own bike. I think like for what we're spending and what we'll be delivering, it's a pretty good power to weight ratio. Yeah, for sure. And you've got a big media side to this project, I guess, which has probably helped a lot in the conversations with sponsors. Tell us a little bit about uh, the plans for that side of things and and what the response was, I guess, from the industry when you started getting in touch. Yeah. So that was kind of like the main part of my pitch and not necessarily something I love, but um, I know is valuable in the current landscape that it's like creating content, digital assets, artists would say that calling it content is wrong, but just creating a buzz about what you're doing and in the form of pictures and videos and being at this project is pretty unique. I'd say the subject matter is interesting, especially to 
people who are core mountain bikers. So the type of people who ride and are probably going to buy stuff for their bike, wear their parts out and need new ones. Um, so Logan's going to make a documentary series about developing this bike. Um, probably going to be like a 12 part video series. Um, not, not really monthly, but maybe every three weeks. And then once the season's over, we won't really have much else to talk about. So from like January to September, when the season wraps up, we'll be doing videos in the beginning about developing the bike. Like how did it all start? Um, we went to Frank's shop while he was fabricating some frames and got some video and an interview with him and, um, got some footage of me riding the bike, um, so far for the first video. And then, um, going to be like going through what worked, what didn't, um, trying a few different options as far as frame layouts go. Um, deciding what's going to be the fastest bike to race, taking it to the first race, seeing if it works, changing it if it needs to be. And, um, talking about, yeah, that, and then the, the development of the program too, putting how I was able to put that together and, um, yeah, lay out this video series and then also deliver like photos and small video clips from each event to all the sponsors and be able to post them. So that was kind of my pitch about what I would be able to deliver. And it's funny, like never did I mention like, I will win this race or I will get a top 20 at a world cup. Like it was, it was no like results base. It was like everything that I will deliver to, to like do my job for you is completely achievable, like regardless of, of any of the race results. So for me, it was kind of cool because like to get the budget we need, we'll deliver this. And then for myself, I want to do great in the race. And I've put this program together that I think will give me the best opportunity and I'll be able to achieve these results for myself as like a bonus to doing my job and delivering what I need to, to the sponsors who are funding my season. So the pressure's on Logan then, and you can relax and just enjoy the racing. <laughs> I told him that I was like, dude, <laughs> it's all on you. Make sure these videos look good. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was the response like from the the sponsors there when you started getting in touch? Who did, who did you speak to? Did you have a list of people that you wanted to, to work with? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I'd known like, we, I, I've tested other parts in the past, like whether it was testing four brands when we're doing competitor testing or just knowing like what works best and paying attention to what is working for other riders. I'm, I'm pretty well acquainted with most of the riders in the circuit. So I chat with them in the gondola, ask them how this is, how that is. So yeah, I knew, I knew kind of what I wanted to use and, um, yeah, just, I guess I, I was really nervous at first. So like the, the numbers seemed like a lot to, to figure out how to get. Um, but I just started reaching out to sponsors, like mainly like the thing that worked the best was picking up the phone. And like, I, I have a relationship with somebody at, a, at a lot of these brands, at least I've like worked with them in the past or they know me, um, in most cases and just calling them and telling them like, Hey, this is what I want to do. And the first couple times I was like very nervous to do it. And, and, and especially like asking for money, like asking some of these brands for $20,000 to use their parts. I was like, man, this is like, so, like I feel bad asking for it, <laughs> but 
like I do think it's valuable and I think it's worth this. And I think I can deliver you guys like some return on this investment. And, um, I guess the first one that came back like really quick was Maxis. Maxis sponsored our downhill Southeast races the past few years there. Most of the guys in the U S are based in Atlanta, which is not far from here. And so I had a little bit of a relationship with them and they were kind of already talking about like, Hey, this, the race series just wrapped up for the summer. Like, great job. We're down to support next year. Let us know what we need to do. And I was like, Hey, I've got another project that I want to talk to you about. And then pitched this to them. And the dude, um, Andrew Bartek from Maxis was like, you know what, Nico, like he kind of like stopped me in, in the middle of my long winded pitch about <laughs> explaining all these bikes that I was making and going into too much detail probably about the frame construction. And he was like, you know what, Nico, we've worked with you for a number of years and on other projects. And if, if you think this is a good idea, then, then I think we're down for it. And I was like, I had to pause. I was like, nope no way. Like it was okay, cool. Like, thank you. Like that was, and then once like one got on board and, and I just, I, I was like, cool. Like it, it, it must be worth it. If these guys think it's valuable, I called another brand and did my pitch to them and I got a little bit, I, I refined my pitch. I got better. I was able to do it, uh, shorter and to the point and tell them what I was doing. And, um, and after a few said yes, I just got the momentum going and I, uh, I like, I, it proved kind of like I said that it was worth it if a bunch of sponsors had gotten on board and it was almost easier than to say like, this is the support I have. Like, this is going to happen. I do, right now I only have half of my budget, but it looks like it's going to, I'm going to have the full budget and I'm committed to doing it either way. Um, so I was like willing to pay pay out of pocket if it wasn't going to balance out and i told all the sponsors that so they knew it was for sure going forward but once i got a couple on it yeah it made it a lot easier to get the rest of them good work man so yeah who have you got on board then what's the what's the kind of roster looking like yeah so i'd say the the i don't really have a title sponsor but the one that's kind of kicking in the most is my bike park ride canuga and that's a trail bike park that's right down the street from my house. I built it kind of right over the, when the pandemic kicked off, we had planned it in advance and I was, had a bunch of guys lined up to do the trail work, laid it all out. And then when races got canceled, uh, it would kind of worked out perfectly where like this big project was going on right down the street from my house. We had all this really nice equipment rented to build the trails and I could go down there and like, build a bunch of it myself and really enjoyed the process of like laying out and building the trails over there. And the mountain was like kind of perfect to build on too. It was like a mellow grade. Sometimes when it's too steep, you're like locked into what you can make, but the the dirt was perfect. The grade was just right. And, um, we built some really cool trails there and it's, it's really taken off. Like the bike park has been much more successful than I would have ever imagined in, in the first two years. And I convinced my partner, Dave, that it should be the title sponsor for my race program this year. And I, I, I kind of put it forward that like, I'm going to do my best to make this like a real sponsorship that brings the value back and returns on the investment that Canuga is putting into my program. Um, it's a pretty well-known and attended bike park in the region and the Southeast right now. And I think that 
my video series and the content around it will shine some light on Canuga. Um, it's not a downhill park, so it's kind of a hard sell, but more people ride trail bikes anyway. And they, they may be interested in what I'm doing and racing downhill and following along with my career, even if they don't ride downhill themselves. So the plan is to like promote Canuga in a positive way, um, through this whole project. And we actually have a really good little test track. It's kind of short, the mountains, only 500 feet of vert. So the test track we have is only a minute and 30 seconds long, but it's really efficient. We've got like a, a dirt road that goes to the top and a side-by-side to shuttle with. And, um, me and Luca ride there a lot. Chris Grice comes and shuttles with us sometimes and kind of feel bad because we don't advertise that we can shuttle there. But I, I was joking that like, if you're on the U S world's team, then you can shuttle here. <laughs> so we go during the week and, um, and we ride the downhill track. So hopefully like showing the use of the bike park in the content will be, um, a good way to like positively promote it and show, show a return on, on what Kaduga is, is putting in. And it's kind of like a way of saying that like everybody that comes there and supports the park and by buying a pass, like a small portion of that went to this program. And that's the same with all the sponsors. Like the best way to support the riders you like is to support the brands that support them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Canuga I'd say would be the top one. And then Worldwide Cyclery is a bike shop that's owned by a really good friend of mine, Jeff Cayley. We, uh, we grew up racing together and uh, Jeff actually came out in 2008 and 2009 to the East Coast and stayed with me and my family. He's from California and wanted to do some racing on the East Coast. And he was, he was really into Super D back then, which is like, I guess, what an enduro rider would be doing now. Um, and he won the national championship for super D that year before he came out to stay with me. So he wanted to do some riding on the East coast. And like, we slept in bunk beds in my parents' house when I was 16 and been like super good friends ever since then. And, uh, when Jeff went back to California, he started selling some parts online and got worldwide cyclery off the ground. And it's one of the biggest shops in the country now. And they create a lot of media too. Like they're really big with um, any new products that come out. They're a very well-respected uh, media partner that reviews a lot of stuff. And they're unbiased. Like they sell everything. So they just review all the products as they are. And they're going to be using their platform to promote my program as well, which is a really cool partner. And um have an affiliate link with them too. Like they're, they're supporting the program and, and helping out funding it. But on top of that, there's like, if, if people click through the link, I'll put it in my Instagram by the time this podcast comes out in the bio. Um, if you need to buy bike parts, most people listening to this will buy bike parts at some point. If you go through the link to the affiliate on worldwide, then I get like a, a small kickback, a small percentage of each sale. So it's, it's kind of a nice way to like have a direct value for how much, uh, traffic you're, you're sending them. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, they're a big supporter. And then all the bike component sponsors were like, I made a list of exactly the stuff that I wanted to use. And it pretty much worked out perfectly that like the first brands on my list were stoked on the program and was a natural fit. So Maxis is, uh, probably the biggest supporter 
And I mean, I don't need to go into too much detail. Just look at any podium over the past 20 years and there'll be lots of Max's tires on there. Like statistically speaking, Max's tires win races. They make a tread that's competitive in almost every condition. Like their range is very big and they have a, a tire for kind of every preference and condition. So, um, they're a big supporter. And I think that it just takes that out of the equation. Like, you know, you're on good rubber and you know, you are on an equal playing field, at least with the best guys when you're on Maxis. Um, Fox suspension. I've ridden Fox suspension since I was 17, my first year on the world cup circuit. Every, every world cup I've entered, I've been on Fox. Um, I've of course tested some competitors over the years and, Fox always has like their stuff is built to race. So for me who only care about racing downhill fast, like having the the support of, of a stiff suspension system that's designed for racing and dampers that can keep up with how fast you're going, um, along with their support at the races is amazing. And they're located, they have an East coast spot here in Asheville. So when I got my new bike, I asked Jordy like, Hey, what are some good, here's my leverage ratio. Here's my kinematic. What do you think are some good tunes to try? Um, he's like, Hey, here's like three that I think will all be pretty in the range you're looking for. And I took, I had a, a couple of shocks here at like my, I'm running a 250 by 75 shock. So it's like a standard metric downhill shock. Took them all to Fox in Asheville, got the valves put in got them the valve code done and um they had the shocks back to me in two days so it's like a very good partnership to have to work with them on suspension um and kind of like maxis like you know you're on at least a level playing field of what the best that's out there um then reserve wheels is sponsoring me with rims and valves those are santa cruz's rims and for me like I'm a bigger guy. I wanted to ride a carbon rim because it's for downhill. It's like I wanted the support and the durability from it. And I felt like theirs were the most compliant and the most forgiving of any of the carbon rims that I've ridden as well as the durability. Like they sent an engineer to all the races with the syndicate for years until the rims were like perfectly race ready. And they're another product that's proven like if one, plenty of world cups with greg world champs this year and the rims are just solid and they just came out with the new valves too that are not they're not proprietary to their rims the valves work with any rims but they they're called the Fillmore valves and they have like a base valve that goes all the way through to the top of the valve so they the idea is they they let a lot more airflow through the valve and they don't get clogged with sealant um they work really well with inserts and we've had like tons of I'm, I'm sure everybody's dealt with sticky valves but if you're like used to racing downhill and you've got inserts and like you go to check your tire pressure and no air comes out of the tire it's kind of like gets to be an annoying uh, just an annoyance after a certain amount of time and like valves are like one of the only things that were like constantly either sticky or leaking or something and like these valves work amazing they have like much more durable um, easy to seat the tire because of the amount of extra airflow that goes through them. Um, I mean, they're, 
people were like when they when they launched them complaining about the price they're like 50 bucks for the set but like a normal valves are like 25 bucks so it's like twice as much but they're gonna give you way less of a headache and your mountain bike costs you so much money <laughs> that you might as well do stuff that's not going to give you a headache so <laughs> i'm a big fan of the valves um and like you notice the amount of airflow like you go to check your tire pressure and you go to like let one ps the first time i did i was like i'll oh, let one psi out and i let like six psi out <laughs> in the same amount of time so they like definitely have bigger flow but uh yeah stoked on those um fox gear is sponsoring me with all the gear helmets um goggles everything i need and and those guys like they make me feel like family and anytime i'm at a race where they're at they have like a lot of the u.s races they have the bus there um even at like i went to motocross of nations when i was at redbud and it's it's actually back there again this year and they're like letting me come and hang out in the bus all the pro riders are there and anytime i go to the office they're like asking my opinion on all the new products that they're working on and like loading me down with as much gear like more gear than i need and uh they're just like a a really awesome brand that that is makes me feel like such a part of it that um and their stuff it all like of course people have fox it looks cool but all the materials they use are really functional and for racing like the pants the stretch of them um a lot of their downhill jerseys have like a stretchy elbow which works really well with elbow pads doesn't make it like feel tight on your elbow um and all their guards uh their chest protectors elbow pads knee pads like everything is awesome they just redid their helmets this year the downhill helmet is really light and really comfortable thick padding so they've been a partner for a while and i'm stoked to that was like probably the only one that i like was already signed with and went to them was like hey so just so you know this is what i'm doing next year changing it up but like um you guys are still on board anyway so didn't need to like resell it but just told them what i was doing and they were super pumped on it and they have a big following too so them being able to share what i'm doing helps a lot as well and makes it more valuable to all the other sponsors too and fox can like share the whole program just gets more eyes on it which is really what the sponsors are looking for um kogel bearings there they make ceramic bearings and they've sponsored our team for many years like yt they sponsored us intensely sponsored us ard who owns kogel has come to a bunch of races and it's funny how we actually got hooked up with them in the first place like they were at one of the world cups and he came in to like explain who he was and what the product they made was and i had actually bought their bearings and put them in my race wheels they're like pretty expensive so i bought them in the beginning of the season gave them to my mechanic and said like leave these for the race wheels like whatever race wheel set i'm using for like quality and race runs put these bearings in and um we'll keep them fresh and when he came in to like explain who he was i was like oh this these are the bearings that i just bought that i keep for my race run only and everyone on the team was like oh cool i know exactly what you mean like they ended up supporting the team and then i was hesitant to like use them in all my wheels because i just bought these bearings that i wanted to have for race run only and i wasn't sure like how durable they were because they were ceramic and really expensive um and then once we were supported by them we put them in all our wheels and they like lasted way longer than all the other bearings like than the steel ball bearings so they have like a cyclocross seal that they're mainly in like road and 
cyclocross endurance sports, but they pushing into mountain bike and they had had, I think they have a mountain bike specific one now, but it was like a cyclocross sealed bearing. So it was ready for mud and water, whatever you need and put those in the beginning of the year. And they're like spun, like they were brand new by the end of the season. So they're going to support me with the bearings, um, bottom brackets, pulley wheels for the derailleur. Um, they just make a, like a bunch of high end trick stuff. And that was kind of like the whole point of my program doing building the bike, like my dream bike, exactly the way I wanted. They like fit in really well because they're really high quality, high end product. Um, WD 40 makes obviously cleaning supplies, lubricants, grease. Um, and I thought they were really suited, like a really well suited partner for me because I'm building bikes using grease, um, assembling these frames and then getting them testing, getting them dirty all the time. Like need to, wash them especially here on the east coast um so like wd-40 kind of fit in really well with everything that i'm doing like i use the stuff a lot anyway and robin bellucci is the marketing guy for them now and he used to race world cups back in like mid 2000s i definitely like was just getting into it then but remember him and he moved to the same town that i'm in last year so he's like locally based which like that local connection makes a big deal like he brought all the stuff over to my house and sat on my couch and went over every product with me and told me about like their most people don't know this but their grease has like a really high drop point which makes it um last way longer they use it in like trophy trucks and other things that most greases turn to liquid but there's like last a lot longer because it's high temp grease and like, that's something that I like never would have known if they had just been another sponsor that sent me stuff, but him coming and like going over everything was really cool. So, uh, stoked to be with WD 40, um, ODI, they've been the grips that I've used since 2009 and a lot of stuff like that. They're like, it's very much preference. I know like other people may like something else, but like I've used the half waffle or now like the elite pro, which is like the the padded version with this single clamp half waffle has just been like so comfortable. Like I've tested or ridden other people's bikes to like get a feel for them. And like, if they have different grips, they could have a great suspension feel, but like the grip is something that you notice so quickly and like having the comfort there makes a, a huge difference. So, um, being able to, yeah, get support from ODI and, and like their rubbers are so good too. Like I think a lot of other brands try. It's kind of like Maxis with the tires. Like they got the compound down and like other brands try to melt it down and have a chemist and analyze what they use. But even if you know, you, it's like the way they work it, there's like industry secrets that other people have tried to copy and they can't. And I think ODI has that with the grips. They're, they're like the compounds are really soft and durable and I'm, they're just my grip of choice and they, they make the number plate backings as well. So those are super handy at the races. Um, almost everyone uses a number plate backing now and ODI is probably the most common. Like you don't see many people at the world cups with the number plate just zip tied onto the handlebars. So the, the backing is, is pretty cool to have. Um, and I'll be using factor hubs. They make really nice hubs. They're also pretty local. Their U S base is in Georgia, not far from here. And, um, yeah, it's really high quality hub. Um, I'll be using them laced into my reserve rims with, uh, Kogel bearings. So my wheels will be working super well. 
And those guys are cool too. Cause like Ben, the guy who, who works for factor races, all the local Enduros and comes to the races. And like, I'm going to go ride, I go ride with him every now and then. And just like having brands that you're stoked to work with makes such a big difference. So, um, they're really cool. Um, WTB is supporting me with sealant and they have a new sealant that's ammonia free synthetic latex, which it like doesn't evaporate as quickly, which I guess for me, isn't quite as important. Like racing, you're changing the tires quicker than the sealant evaporates, but it seals up to a six mil thick hole. So in the case, like in a qualifying run or an important run that you need to get to the bottom, like, I think it's going to make a big difference to use that sealant. And same as like a lot of these brands, I, I had a good relationship with the people that work there and they were stoked to be a part of my program. They didn't have a ton of budget to throw at it, but they're like, Hey, like these are the products we make, even if it's just sealant, like we'd love to be involved and, um, tried their sealant and was super stoked with it. So, um, really glad to be supported by them. Uh, hand up gloves is a local company. They're out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I just did a signature glove with them this year. Um, and not just a signature pattern, but like did the entire construction of the glove. So I like made a bunch of notes of tested a bunch of other gloves that I liked, wanted a glove that didn't bunch in the palm that had like a tight fit to it. Didn't have any weird pressure points and seams in areas that like we're going to push on your fingers or do anything weird. And then I was like pretty, pretty stuck on the durability too. Like a couple of them we got and they like, after a month started to fall apart and the guys were like, well, you probably take your glove on and off like more than most people do in a year <laughs> by riding downhill, like between runs or just the amount that you ride. So I pushed them hard to make the glove like durable and the way I wanted. And in the end, we came out with a really nice glove. That's my signature model. It's the hand up pro glove. And they, um, they've been supporting me for a while and, and they're just, again, like so cool. They're local. I call the dude and hang, hang out with him when I'm in Chattanooga, went to dinner with him, didn't talk about mountain biking at all. Um, made a bet with, uh, with him that if Georgia wins the national championship, I'll have a Georgia Bulldogs G on my glove. Cause he's like a huge <laughs> Georgia fan. So it's like funny, the things like just having that kind of cool relationship with the with the sponsors is really nice. And and I'm in the position to do that now that it's my own program. It's not like filtered through a team or anything. Um, and then GoPro is supporting me with cameras. And they, I, I reached out to him and told him like what my program was. Um, and I, they, they pretty easily could have said like, because I a lot of the brands too, not just GoPro, but I've gone to them and was like, hey, like I'm going to use your product either way because it's my preference but it would be awesome if you could support it and not like use that as leverage to not give me money. And <laughs> GoPro could have easily been like, Hey, yeah, here's two cameras, like good luck. But they actually were able to come through and like support what I was doing, give me some funding for it. And, um, I mean, I use their, their cameras all the time, whether it's at races, like to study the course, um, testing now, like we'll put the camera on the handlebar and can like, document every run and it's it's pretty accurate for timing too like we'll have like a, a a point where like you can measure pretty precisely we'll export the video into like an editing program and can like measure the time from when you run over this rock to when you run over that route and like do all our times with the gopro and it also like 
documents any weird things that might have happened during that run so you you can kind of see any inconsistencies so i use the gopro all the time we're going to use it in the videos and um it was cool they helped out and then so yeah those are all the sponsors that are like financially supporting me which helps like i wouldn't be i literally wouldn't be able to do it without them like i would be not able to have what i needed at the races so i really appreciate their support and then um i'm getting some product support from like ftd flat tire defender uh, O-Chain and Galfer with like pads and rotors. So, um, yeah, appreciate that. That's pretty much the lineup. Nice. And you're open on brakes and drive chain then at the moment. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I talked to TRP about it a little bit. I was really happy with TRP brakes and, um, they have some new drivetrain stuff that's better than the, than the stuff that they had in the past, but wasn't they didn't have enough budget to like really make it worthwhile to lock in to the whole group set um like i personally i find like the sram drivetrain to be so good the the sram seven speed drivetrain it's like bulletproof it's quiet it shifts well and it's reliable um like i don't have to worry about it in normal times you could just buy as many as you need but now i've been like scrounging to get a derailleur here and there from Kyle Strait or Mitch Ropolato or Chris Grice, Walker Shaw is like hitting them all up like, hey, you got any spare derailers? So like piecing together enough to have spares. Um, but hopefully we can get some more in stock by the time the race season comes around. So yeah, I'm, right now I'm using a SRAM drivetrain and TRP brakes. Um, I look forward to like testing more with different brake stuff. Um, Cascade Components says like they're going to help me in the future with some links for my bikes. Like the first couple were pretty simple links, but, um, the links that I'll be using to race will be made by cascade and they also make aftermarket calipers. So right now they're just for SRAM, but I asked them to make some mineral oil ones. So it'll be interesting to try those. They claim that they make a lot more power. They say 20% more power on the SRAM brakes by increasing the piston size. Um, and they have more oil in them too, so they're more consistent. So, um, yeah, excited to mess, excited to mess around with maybe some different options for brakes. Brakes are like really important for me for downhill. I think a lot of riders would say that that having like a precise, powerful brake that's really consistent every time gives you a lot of confidence, and you kind of use that to like get the bike to break free when you're setting up for a corner. And if it doesn't react exactly the way you want, it like kind of throws your timing off. So brakes are really important to me and yeah i've been happy with the consistency i've tried a few this off season and even some crazy stuff like i was using a shimano lever with a trp caliper and like just messing around with stuff now that i can um but i find the trp set up to be consi- the most consistent and pretty good power and um it's maybe not the firmest lever but they're as a whole i think they're the best for me right now. So, um, that's what I'm using and using the gal for rotors and pads with them. But, um, I'm looking forward to trying some, some more stuff. Don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole of it. Um, <laughs> and, and hopefully like dial it because I could order like every break under the sun and spend a month trying them. And in the end, you, you gotta like keep it con- constrained to some, uh, an amount you can handle. But, um, yeah by the time the race season comes, I kind of want to have this stuff figured out and just set it and forget it sort of thing. Yeah. Um, cause the frame's going to give me enough stuff to worry about. 
Yeah, let's talk about the frame then. So you you started playing around fairly early in the year with linkage and, and throwing some ideas together. How has it moved on from there to the point where you've actually got hardware? Yeah, so I guess the process was like I started playing on linkage and linkage is really easy to use because you can just drag the points around to get the kinematic that you want and it just shows you the output of like all the forces in the bike, whether it's the leverage ratio, the anti-rise, anti-squat, pedal kick. Um, You can kind of see what does what by just it does the equation for you. And I wouldn't say it's like completely accurate. Like I'd say it's very close, but in th- the, th- if a theory works on linkage, it, you might not drag that s- those same points into a CAD and it give you the same output. But mm-hmm. if the theory was proven on linkage, it can be done. Um, and a good engineer on CAD will adjust it to make it what the, the kinematic was that you were looking for. So learning how to use linkage, I just move dragging points around. Um, my girlfriend was laughing cause I'd be like up till midnight with the mouse, just click, 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 <laughs> click, click, pulling this pivot point here and there, seeing what did what. And, and like when I first started, I thought of making a bike and, and it's funny, like now I think back to what I've said to some engineers in the past with, with bike companies we were working for, I thought I was going to be like ordering a cheeseburger. Like I was going to say, I want this, 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 and this, and I don't want that. And in, in reality, it's like everything is a compromise with something else. Like there's nothing that is just like the best of everything. I mean, the more gadgets you can put on the bike, like if you put an idler pulley, then okay, then you can separate the pedal kick from the anti-squat. Or if you put like a floating brake, you can separate the anti-rise from the instant center. So you can like do stuff if you add gadgets, but then those gadgets are making your bike more complicated and like are they worth the marginal gain those are kind of some things that i hope to through this development process thoroughly test and like see what works for me um but anyway like i i just learned that you could have a balanced bike that was like pretty neutral and gonna work i guess predictably in a lot of situations or you could make one that had like a superpower that was like it has this like really rearward axle path that's really good in this one situation but you pay for it in turns and trying to generate momentum so whatever maybe riding style each person has or the like strategy that they want to go with will dictate like what their bike design will that will work best for them and it's not like i, I don't think that I think there's some fundamentals that are like across the board, good and bad, but it's kind of like I can relate it to trail building. Cause I know I do trail building. It's like not everybody likes the same trail. Well, not everybody's going to like the same kinematic and bike layout, like totally dependent on what your goal is. If you're making it for racing, if you're making it to just have fun and throw around, like there's different objectives. And my objective of course was to make the fastest race bike I could. And make something that was going to be really predictable, not, um, and just be balanced and be like consistent across a wide range of terrain. Um, and, and I guess that terrain being like all the world cup tracks on the circuit and looking at that, it was like, okay, the leverage ratio was kind of like the first thing that I wanted to start with. 
And my bike, the first one that I made is like 30% progressive. And I tried to make it as like straight of a line as possible. So like as consistent of a gradient that the force was increasing on. And to me, that makes it feel like when you're pushing into the bike, you can feel where you are in the travel. Like some people would say that it makes it harsher at the end of the stroke that it doesn't kind of taper off as the spring force increases. But to me, like I can feel where I am better in the travel as consistent as that gradient can be. Um, so that was like the starting point for my design. And then um, I kind of tried to make, I, I went back and forth on what was like important after that. And I guess I came back to the fact that they were all like all the other kinematics were important like whether it was anti-rise anti-squat pedal kick like axle path you're kind of like going back and forth like i can make this better but it makes that worse and i just tried a bunch of stuff and came back to that like okay they're all equally important maybe on a downhill bike anti-squat is least important but unless you're using a high pivot or when you're not using a high pivot and another pulley it's directly tied to your pedal kick so there was like, yeah, just went around in circles on that until I kind of found something that I liked. And, and what I ended up on was pretty neutral, I guess, on all of them. Um, and going for like a horse link rocker four bar layout to me seemed like the simplest solution. Like a big part of it was like, how can I make this as simply as I want with getting the kinematic that I want? And I had to take into consideration, like, we're going to make these in the US, Frank's going to make them himself, which is not a factory in Taiwan that has every tool under the sun to make a bike. So I wanted to make it something that was going to be easy for him to make. And this layout seemed like it was going to give me the best results with the least headache. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of why I went for that. I mean, I think I talked to some other engineers who are saying, like, yeah, if you think about the problem of like making a suspension bicycle, this is probably the best solution the shock bottoms out into the bottom bracket where the bottom bracket and the down tube meet which is already reinforced um the all the tubes are pretty much straight tubes um there's space like there's not a lot of shocks going through tunnels um need extra clearance for like linkages it's it's like a pretty straightforward design so that's why i chose it and I didn't chose it, choose it because just that, like I could also get everything I wanted out of the bike, like other more complicated designs didn't really give me anything that I couldn't get out of this design. So, um, that's how I chose it. And, uh, so yeah, made the linkage design after hundreds of hours of clicking, <laughs> figured out one that I liked, um, sent that to an engineer. Um, who was recommended by Frank. Yeah, it was, his name was uh, Lee Crawford. He's from England and Frank had worked with him on something else before. Sent him my linkage design. He took all the points, the bottom bracket as like the datum and then all the pivot points off of that and like looked at my kinematic, made sure that on CAD it made sense. Like it was what I had intended and made a 3D model of it, made all the 3D parts um, that needed to be CNC'd like the bridge at the top of the chainstay, the links, the main pivot yoke, the dropouts, 
bottom bracket head tube. And then we sent all those files to like a rapid CNC prototyping place who made all the pieces and they sent them to Frank's shop. Frank chose, I guess before this, Frank had already chosen the tubing and specified that to Lee who put it into the model and Frank, um, put all the tubing in. We used really simple hardware. That's like one thing I definitely plan to improve by the race season. So we like use bolts from the hardware store to make it, but <laughs> we just wanted to make it simple and, um, not spend a ton of money. Like these first bikes you'll see the pictures of are like as simple as we could make it, but still working with no issues, um, to prove the theory. I just, I'm spending my own money on these bikes. It's not like the budget for the racing is not related to me making these bikes. So, um, I wanted to not waste money by making it look pretty before it worked well. And yeah, we, uh, just made it as simple as we could. And I guess that's a couple months later and I've got a, got a frame to ride. I mean, it seemed like it took a long time to me cause I was like, I could, once I knew the, landed on the design that I wanted, it was like, okay, now wait for the guy to do the 3d model. Now wait for all this stuff to get made from the CNC shop. Now wait for Frank to weld it. Now he's going to take it to the heat treat place. Now he's got to bring it back and do all the bearing bores and assemble the frame. Like, can I finally ride it? Like, is it going to be, I was like, <laughs> I tried not to bother them, but I was like, when's it going to be here? I want to ride this thing. And, uh, a lot of people I talked to were like saying that a frame from like me pressing send to it showing up in my house seven weeks later is like really fast. And I guess getting it homemade in the U S you can do that. But, um, to me, it seemed like it took a long time cause I was very impatient, <laughs> but that's, yeah, that's how it went. What about like, uh, reach and head angle and stuff like that? Was that pretty easy decisions? I'd say like the geometry for a downhill bike is fairly straightforward. Like there's not a lot of stuff that is outside the box that works really well. I used a 63 degree head angle, 345 mil bottom bracket height, um, 27.5 rear wheel, 29 front wheel, which I think on world cup tracks is probably the best option. The world cup tracks are pretty steep. Um, and that clearance is nice. And I don't think you really pay much for it either. Like the rollover doesn't seem like it's, it's holding, it's like you're paying a price to have the smaller rear wheel. Um, my chainstay is three or four fifty five. Mm-hmm. Um, my reach is four seventy five, and I think that's pretty much all the frame geometry. Yeah. Um, one thing that you're, I, I guess when I said tall, like right? that, I, I wanted to, yeah, I'm six foot tall. So four seventy five. I, I might go a little, a touch longer. Um, when I, when I, oh, I forgot a spot. I forgot one of my sponsors on my list. And now that we're talking about the, um, frame geometry, it brings it up. Um, spank bar stem and seat posts is what I'm going to be using. And, um, when I, I really wanted to use the 40 mil stem, like that was something that I thought worked really well with the new offsets when they came out with the new 40, it's, um, a 52 mil offset. They have a few options, but 52 seems like it works the best on the downhill fork. And, the 50 mil stems were like not, I didn't feel like they were like the most natural feeling with that offset. So I wanted to go shorter and I'd like Renthal only had a 45 
And I, I raced with that all last year, but I would like, I tested a 40 that I liked. And I guess I found Spank by this. Like I made a list of all the brands that offered a 40 mil stem for downhill and had the bend bar that I wanted. And Spank was like one of the only ones. And when I called them and talked to the dude there, it was like so cool and easy to deal with and was stoked on my program. So um, I, I kind of thought that like Spank was just like a, kind of catalog company before but they actually make everything themselves they make a lot of products for other brands too and um they're they like assemble it all in their own factory so it, it kind of worked super well that it was it was a good fit but i was after that 40 mil stem and on my bike now it has a 475 reach i in hindsight i should have gone a little longer on the reach maybe 480 to like fit that 40 mil stem so uh -huh. On my race bike, that will probably go up to to forty four eighty reach. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much the frame geometry. And and then one thing too, I was going to mention when I when I was after like the balance of all those kinematic points was um, like braking is something that I think is overlooked, like the anti rise number. And I really really wanted like my bike to work actively under braking, and that was a big part of like choosing this design. Um, like horse link design allows you to have a nice low anti-rise number and like world, most world cup tracks you like good riders are braking most of the time like they're so steep that like yeah you're braking harder in key sections but there's just not that much of the track that you're completely off the brakes so the bike is having to work under the force of the braking so choosing that was like a big part of me choosing my design as well go cool. yeah so when did you get the bike under you for the first time so i rode the first prototype i think it was like middle of november um and i was a little bit nervous because i'd committed to this like i told intense that i was gonna do something else um anybody else who had asked me what i was doing next year i told them i was already had my plans figured out and had sold all the sponsors on the idea that i'm going to be racing this thing <laughs> but i hadn't ridden it yet like i had to get this all rolling like with the budget when, when the budgets are um are set for a lot of these brands is like kind of august september that sort of time as far as like bike industry goes so i i'd like sold it and had these sponsors on board and was like well shit this bike might take a few like i i was confident that i would be able to get it to work but i didn't know if it was going to be great on the first try i was like expecting to have I guess the main thing that I was worried about, like I, I thought my kinematic was going to be fine because it was like of the bikes I've ridden, this was going to be like what I wanted, what I would ask for. But I didn't know how to measure like the flex, whether the bike was going to feel rigid or if it was going to be like too flexy. Um, I, I had to trust Frank on that. And like, and as well, like I, I didn't know if it was going to be super heavy or break like any engineer who I talked to said it was really hard to do like a proper FEA on it because there's a suspension frame. that's like hard to constrain where the force is coming from. So it would be, it's possible, but it would be really expensive. And most of them just said like, make one and ride it will be your quickest and easiest way to, to figure this out. So that's what I did, but I wasn't sure if the thing would be like, yeah, really flexy, really stiff break or be heavy. And it showed up and it was like, I built the bike with insert with FTDs 
and it was 38 pounds complete. So I'd say light. I have ridden it now probably 15 days downhill, which is more than I'd ride at this time of year. I've had no signs of any issues with it breaking. Our, um, our rocker links were definitely a little bit underbuilt, which is why I reached out to Cascade and kind of developed a relationship with them. Um, so I had like, I bent a bunch of shock bolts and was like having, I eventually broke one shock bolt and like twisted the link. So, um, that was like a minor issue. The first frame had like the spacing for the brake mount was wrong. So I had to put spacers behind my rotor, which is like all minor things. Like it could have been way worse of for, for your first go at it. Um, and, and it, it rode really well. Like it worked as intended. I, I owe a ton of credit to Frank and like his experience building frames. And he also like he repairs a lot of frames so he knows he can see where like bikes tend to break a lot of his business is like people have a vintage bike that they don't want to get rid of but is cracked and he'll fix it for them um so he chose all the tubing and chose all the gussets and the where the bike needed to be reinforced and he went when i asked him like hey are you sure this thing's going to be like not rigid but stiff enough and strong enough he was like yeah, I think so. Like you didn't, didn't like sell it to me really hard. So I was kind of nervous that it might, um, not work <laughs> great. Like we might need to change some stuff, but after riding it, I like, I can't say I would say stiffer, softer, and it hasn't broken and it's not heavy. So a really good start, like for the first one, a much, like I was relieved how well it worked for my first, like, not to say anything bad about intense, but I felt so much more comfortable on that bike than the bike that I had raced a month earlier. Like it was just wow. so much comfortable from the first ride. And yeah, I'm stoked. I think if we're starting there, then by the first race with, so I'll have time to go through a few iterations, probably two more, um, refinements. And, um, I think we'll be in a really good spot. Hopefully I can keep it moving forward and not, um, to the side or backwards from there. <laughs> what, yeah. What, um, what things have you got planned? What, what do you want to test between now and the first race? So I just got about a week ago, the high pivot version of this same layout. And I tried to keep it. There was a couple of things I wanted to make better, but I didn't want to make them better and then test it against it with more variables. So I tried to keep the bikes as similar as possible using the same shitty bolts from the hardware store. Um, and I just moved the main pivot up and use an idler pulley and a different set of rocker links. So the whole, all the tubing is the same. Um, most of the CNC parts are the same. It was just like that main pivot yoke and the, everything that, in, that kind of holds the idler pulley in had to be redesigned. And all the people on, online that are like, oh, it looks like a Trek. If they say it looks like a Trek because of the the main pivot yoke, I'll, I'll take that because we <laughs> took the Trek apart, took a bunch of pictures of it and copied it. <laughs> like you don't need to reinvent something that works well. Like they, those guys obviously spent a lot of time. So we pretty much just like redesigned, like reverse engineered how they use the axle because it's really hard to make the either pulley mounted slightly offset from the pivot like with a big pivot bolt 
and have your either pulley like 10 mil offset is like, there's no space to like screw that in there. So we just looked at how Trek did it and um, just copied the way that they bolted it all together. Um, so yeah, I, I was able to make the frame like kinematic wise as well with only moving those two, those two things like pretty similar. Like of course, moving the main pivot up, like I got a higher anti-rise slightly, but on a four bar, it's like, and a, and a horse link, it's like, it's still pretty low. Um, using the either pulley, I could separate the anti-squat from the pedal kick and was able to get like a really nice, like less than two degrees pedal kick. And, um, the axle path is like more rearward. It's not crazy. I wanted it to be like for a high pivot bike that you were fitting a reasonable size pulley wheel on. So it's a 14 tooth pulley wheel. I wanted it to be as like low as the pivot could be. So the axle path kind of looks like a football, like goes to zero at bottom out, mm-hmm. um, which is, I think a pretty neutral design. So, um, I'm interested to see, I, I well, I've ridden them uh, this past week. Of course I was so excited when I got the bike. <laughs> I, in fact, I was so excited that I flew to Boston to the heat treat place to see it and pick it up, take it to Frank's shop, do all the assembly and, and clean the threads and do the bearing bores and then take it home with me <laughs> instead of waiting two more days to get it. And, uh, I've ridden it like every day since then that it's been nice. So I don't want to go into too much detail because our whole idea is to make this video series that people will watch and see, um, the development process and our honest look at it. And I, so I don't want to give all the feelings of the high pivot versus the regular bike now, but that's kind of the goal is to like decide which one's the better route to go is the high pivot. Is it worth the added complication of, um, adding the either pulley and everything like that? Um, or is the low pivot with, uh, O chain to take, to take care of the pedal kick and, uh, slightly more forward axle path is that going to be a better race bike so that's that's kind of like the first big thing to test and then decide between these two bikes like which route to go but also maybe like the route is in between the two or further in one direction and then make a refined version of this bike that i'll race a couple preseason races on and then take to lords nice and i've seen a couple of uh pictures of the bike so far raw raw aluminium what's the plan from like a cosmetic point of view like is it going to be painted is it is the bike gonna have a name like how what's it gonna look like yeah so originally i i was like why would i spend any time and energy thinking about a name or a color before this thing works as well as it can Like it's something that I almost don't like about the world is that you can sell like a pretty average product with good marketing. And I just wanted to make something that only worked well. Like I could care less what color it is. I don't even know where I would paint it. Like that just adds, (laughs) so if I wanted to paint it, I need to find a guy to paint it and then make sure that the paint is durable enough and not going to like scratch and chip. And maybe I have to go back to him and say, oh, change the paint because it chipped. Can you make it strong? Like, I really could care less about that. I just want the bike to work. The raw aluminum is nice. It like, if you scratch, like if you're shuttling and somebody's spray clever scratches your top tube, you just 
take some steel wool and your bike will be back to brand new. So I'm going to stick for now to raw aluminum. I think it looks cool. It's kind of like, I don't know. It's like food that's good for you. doesn't have a lot of sauce on it. So <laughs> the bike doesn't need to have all this like ad- added shit to make it look like something else. Um, it just is what it is. And then I kind of thought the same about the name and the brand. Cause like, I hear a lot of people that are like, Oh dude, we got a logo. Like, Oh, well you got a logo. You're, you're pretty much there. Right. <laughs> I was making fun of my brother because he is going to put on some enduro races and he's got like all these enduro Southeast stickers and hats and t-shirts. And I'm like, dude, you haven't even run a race and you've got like a whole wardrobe of down of enduro <laughs> Southeast clothing. <laughs> and he's like, well, it's, I mean, I'm going to run the race too. Like, I know he is and I'm just giving him a hard time, but I like, I'm more about what it is than the brand. And I will say I've been convinced by some smart people that I talk to that it does need a name. I need to, I mean, I need to register as a UCI team. Um, and I need to have somewhat of a, something to call it. Um, but I have, filed a trademark and haven't heard back yet. So I don't want to say on the podcast, but if you follow along, you'll see the name um, coming out as long as we're not infringing on anybody else's copyrighted name. But I think we're good because I, I like with a friend of mine who has experienced with this search, like the U S patent website about all the, the present and past registers of this trademark and haven't found any that are directly conflicting in the outdoor sports world. So I think we'll be good with it, but I just wanted to uh, make sure it was all good before I say anything. Fair play. So is there, I mean, obviously you're very focused on this project, but is there anything in you kind of in the back of your head that's thinking down like further downstream? Like, is there a, is there a bike company here? Is there a brand here maybe one day, or is this purely just, something that you've always wanted to do and you, you decided now was the time to, to give it a crack. I would say that like that thinking that it's something I've always wanted to do has been what's got me to this point. And the idea of like making a bike for myself, like I don't have to make this bike. And, and I'm not saying also that I'm, I'm better at making a bike or have a smarter idea than any of the other bike companies. Like my ideas, my layout's the most commonly used in the industry. It's like a rocker link horse, like a rocker horse link four bar. It's like everybody uses that. Um, but I think my kinematic is like suited to me at people listening to this podcast might not know either that like you move these pivot points a millimeter and it changes it. So yeah, my bike looks like a Scott or a cube or whatever. Um, but my pivot points being different is going to make it ride completely different. So I made something that I wanted that was going to work for me and I didn't have to make it work for six different sizes and use the same parts to make those different sizes and be able to be efficient and cheap to make. Like, of course I considered, like, I don't want Frank to have to make something that's so difficult that it makes it more likely to mess up. But I didn't have to like take all these other considerations into, into account that bike companies do. And I think that can make me make a better bike for my intended use. So that's my driving force. And 
I want to not compromise for anything that's going to make, make it slower race bike. Like I want whatever's going to be the fastest is like the numbers speak for themselves. Um, but with that said, it would be cool someday to, to maybe sell like a limited quantity. Logan and I have definitely talked about it. Like, um, I don't ever want to be a brand where I'm like, let's order thousand bikes and like, let's see if we can get rid of them. Like we'll do all this marketing and get a sales guy. We'll <laughs> try to sell all this stuff. Like has, I have no interest in that whatsoever. But what could be cool is to say like to the people who are following my video series, Hey, if you've, if you've been following along and thought this was cool, um, we're going to make a limited quantity of these frames. We got them to a point where there's nothing on it anymore that I think we should change or that's like the weak point and uh, something I'm proud to offer. And so, yeah, we're going to do a limited run. Like Frank does it now for other bikes. Um, he does gravel bikes. He's done, he's made all the sinister bikes and the FTW bikes. So he's experienced making production, like small production runs. So yeah, we could potentially someday do that, but not until I get to the point where it's like, okay, there's nothing else. Like every stone's been turned. And of course things evolve, like standards change. Like the wheel standards have changed so much in the past couple of years to where like a great bike, you, you can't like sit still on a great bike, but in current times, like it's aluminum, it's quick, it's easy to make more and change as you need. If we get a design that like I like and I'm happy with, it would maybe cool to release a limited quantity to local people. And I think we have a good following like myself in the Southeast that I could, um, yeah, I mean, people are going to buy some bike. They want to buy one that they can align with the story behind. And of course, like they might not notice every detail that I notice, but even if they don't notice it, we might as well make it as best as it could be rather than say they won't notice it. So don't worry about it. And if it works for me and it's proven, then, um, yeah, people might be interested in having one, but that's kind of like a secondary goal. Like I just love it. And like, if I waste all my money making these bikes and I get to go race them at the world cup and have a blast, then I'm totally happy with that too. Nice. I like your approach, man. So you, you mentioned you've got a couple of races coming up before the first world cup, which is in March, isn't it? Lords this year. Will the whole team be there with you? Like as a kind of a bit of a shakedown, like a dry run, or is the first time you'll all be getting together going to be at the first world cup? Yeah. So I actually have a, a pretty busy preseason schedule, but with this all new stuff, I like you, you learn so much racing. So I want to be able to do these races as a dry run. So I'll be doing the Costa Rica open and the Pan American championship, which is the continental championship. They're both in Costa Rica at the same venue, the one that I've been going to and racing at the past couple of years and they're back to back weekends. So it'd be really convenient. It's actually, I think I said, it's like easier to go there than to California for me. It's like a four hour flight to Costa Rica and my buddy Alvaro takes such good care of me down there. So it's, it's been like so nice to go there in the winter anyway. And this year with like more stuff going on around this project, I, I won't go for um, like an extended trip, but I'm going to go do these two races and they're both big, like Costa Rica opens a UCI C1 and then the continental championship is like the biggest race aside from a world cup for the, in, in the UCI's eyes. Like I, I won that race 2015 and I got 
like 250 UCI points. So it's a huge, and not that those points mean anything, but it's just a, it's a big race, um, big deal for us. It's a North America and South America continental championship. So Ancho will come over. Logan will be there to do video stuff. We won't have the Amanda or Gabby doing physio, but um, like they'll just be at the World Cups. But it'll be a good chance for me and Ancho to work together and um, get a good experience mechanic, not a bush mechanic like me on the bike. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not afraid to do anything to the bike. Like I've got, I wouldn't say I, I've passed the point of doing like uh, science fair experiments, but I, uh, I'm not the best. Like I'm maybe more of a hack mechanic than <laughs> I, I would hope I'm more of a hack mechanic than Andrew is, but uh, it'll be nice to have him nice touch of a real mechanic on the bike. Um, and then we'll come back here and race the first downhill Southeast, which is a series that me and my family put together in, uh, in Tennessee at the trials training center. And then two weeks after that is the Tennessee national, which is the first U S national year at Windrock. And those are always good preseason races. It's kind of like why I started putting these races on back in the day was to have preseason races without going to New Zealand to be able to race. Um, so I'll get to race against Luca and probably Dakota, Chris Grice, like some fast dudes. Maybe even if, if like, depending on travel restrictions, more guys can come because there isn't a lot of preseason stuff. So do that. And then, um, I'll have Ancho here for that as well. And then, um, hopefully be well suited for, heading to Lourdes with all the kinks worked out. Awesome. You've been working on a new track for downhill Southeast series. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we built the new track, the first one it's at the trials training center in Chattanooga. Um, we had races there in the past, but the, the trials training center is a motorcycle trials resort where they have like trials, competitions, trials, lessons. Um, it's like a wind rocks and off road park for Jeeps and ATVs and motorcycles too but um trials training centers just for motorcycles and trials bikes it's like really rocky so they can go play around there and um they have a pretty big mountain but the top of it is is like a ridge line where there's homes so our downhill track that we used to race on went through somebody else's yard i guess to get to the track and they said no more so if we were going to have a new track or if we were going to race there again, we had to make a new track from somebody else. Somebody else gave us some access through their property, which was about a mile down the road. So we had to build a new track and it was, it was actually pretty cool. Like I, I really wanted to do it, but I'd gone out there past three years, I think, and walked it and it's really rugged. It's rocky and steep. And every time I left there, I was like, no way. Like this is so much work to build this track. Like, I don't even know if like, you'll just what's under the dirt, you'll just hit bedrock and it might be so much of an undertaking to build. And then I'd go back the next year and think like, I didn't look at it. Right. I think uh, it's probably fine. And I'd walk in and leave and say like someday maybe, but I have like, I've always like, I, I don't know. I have a tendency of like trying to figure out how to say yes to things rather than say no and always put too much on my plate. So being like five hours away from my house. I didn't want to go out and build a new track there, take, take on the project. But we were looking for new venues for the downhill Southeast. And like the series really 
took off through the pandemic because we had a lot less restrictions in the Southeast. We could continue our races. And, um, a lot of people were getting into mountain biking and, and like looking for events to go to, cause there wasn't as many anywhere else in the country. So we had a lot of new people getting into the, the races. Like a lot of our downhill races went from like in 2019, it would be awesome if we had 200 people to then this past year, we had some that were over 400 people just racing downhill, which I thought was pretty cool. If we'd like started an enduro series, we probably could have got a lot more people because there's more people with those bikes, but I love downhill and I wanted to have a downhill series and it was cool to see it like grow from like pretty much nothing in the Southeast to having that many participants. So we were looking for more venues because they're like in the Southeast, it's not like the Northeast where there's ski resorts everywhere that have mountains that are capable of having downhill. There's just not that many venues. So we're looking for new places to have races and TTC was one that like had the venue. They had everything, but the track, like we couldn't use the other track and we had to build this new one. So I was like, Oh, I'll just, I'll put it on the calendar. I'll, I'll put out the word that we're going to have a work day. And if it goes terribly, I'll just cancel the race. (laughs) And it actually went so much better than I thought. Like we had 25 people come. We had two work days and then me and my buddies worked on it another two days. So we got the whole track done in four days, but in those two work days, we got so much done and people loved it. Like they were having a great time working in the woods. They, they were just like happy to be a part of it and like thanked me at the end of the day. And I was like, why are you thanking me? Like you came here and like did all this manual labor for free, but they were, they were just stoked to like pitch in. And and there was a lot of kids that like lived kind of near there that were just excited to have a track to ride. So I I felt like it was a cool thing to, to like build a track that way. Like you can't do that everywhere, obviously. And in in the South and in Tennessee specifically, there's far less restrictions than other places in the world that you could just go and tear into a downhill track with 25 of your friends and (laughs) build it. But to be able to take advantage of the opportunity to do that was cool. So, um, yeah, the, it, it's going to be good. Like the series, it's cool to see the series getting momentum. We have, um, we have a new title sponsor for it, which we're just finishing the contract. So I don't want same thing. Like I hate to talk about this stuff before it's done, but, um, we have a new title sponsor for the downhill Southeast. That's kicking in a bunch of funding that will go towards, um, more video coverage of the races. Like last year we did some homemade, um, we, we like handed out 10 GoPros to kids who knew how to operate them and made a race replay video. That's like, looked like what Red Bull TVs look like, but just Logan did an awesome job. He had it done like five hours after the race and had like the top 10 pros and me, Dakota, Luca, Chris Grice, we were all racing. So there's like the top guys. And then also a bunch of the top guys like regionally and here in the East coast were, were racing in this race. And it got a ton of views and people were like stoked to like watch a race and the coverage, like the, the GoPros were fine. It was just like how it was cut together, made it look pretty professional. I thought, and Logan had like no experience doing this and was pretty like worn out by the end of it. He was not (laughs) stoked on having to do this all the time, but it was a really good proof of concept. And then I could go to like sponsors and say, Hey, next year we want to have this like coverage of our races because like people can watch the world cup or crankworks and they're a fan of it and it's cool but they most people are never going to 
compete in one of those races. Whereas like these, you can watch the coverage from our race, the replay and the next ones in three weeks and you can sign up and do it yourself. So I'm hoping that this is like a good way to get more people interested and like want to come and race. Um, and, and a lot of this funding is going towards getting a production company to do these videos for us. So they'll be like, for one, Logan won't have to do them. So we'll be <laughs> able to focus on my, my videos <laughs> and not so worn out. And also they'll be like done to like a more professional standard. And then, um, we're also going to use the funding to, um, have like a, a prize purse for the overall for all the cat one categories. So that like people who, who invest in going to all the races, like we'll have a decent payout. Like, I think it's going to be a thousand bucks for the win for the overall for like an expert category. So just like, I mean, I know they spend a lot more than that to go to the race, but it's something that we can do to reward them and it'll be three deep as well. So, um, it's awesome to have like a sponsor that sees what we're doing and like, is stoked to throw some gas on the fire and, and make us give us the opportunity to do it a little better with the, with the races. Good work, man. Yeah. Never, never standing still on the whole U S downhill side of things. It's cool to see, but yeah, we're, we're sat here at the very beginning of 2022. It's an early start for the race season this year, fingers crossed. So how are you feeling about the whole thing? You've been on a, a fair journey from, starting this to where you are now but still a little ways to go are you confident you feel good like how's it all shaping up yeah i'd say like the biggest thing is it's a new fire to like new motivation like a lot of the races last year i i wasn't doing great i was everybody's dealing with injuries but like i was crashing and like feeling so beat up at the races and and just feeling uncomfortable on the bike and it just wasn't a good I don't know. I just felt like I, my only motivation to like do all my training was to not do worse than I already was doing. And now I feel like I feel comfortable on my bike. I feel like I'm able to like hit my marks and it's easier. I'm excited about my whole program and, and I do my training and I'm like, man, give it everything because you could really do well. Like you, you could do some good results out there. So to have like that voice in the back of my head is a lot more inspiring and I'm looking forward to it. I mean, there's a lot of unknowns for sure, but, and it's a lot on my plate, but it's all up to me, which I think I can handle. I've like, I'm used to that. So, um, yeah, I think, I think I'll be able to make it what I want and whatever that is, I'll be happy with. I just want to give it like, I mean, I don't know how many more years, like, like Greg's an outlier, but I'm getting definitely on the second half of my career. And I don't know how many more years it's going to be that I'm competitive and I want to try to like look back and know that I gave it everything. So I think this, this, these pieces that I've lined up this off season are going to give me the best shot at it. Um, I could have ridden for other teams, definitely not like, the teams maybe that I couldn't go and walk on to specialized gravity. <laughs> so of the choices that I had, I think that like laying it out this way for myself is, is giving me the closest shot to that, um, that, that I would have. So I'd say I'd put the pieces in place and, um, yeah, it, hopefully we can get it to all run smoothly 
by by race time. Definitely, man, and we'll be able to keep up to date with uh, with your project as we go throughout the season in the the World Cup post race shows that we do together with Elliot. So that uh, that would be interesting to be able to catch up and keep up with with how you're getting on. If people want to check out the the video side of things and just generally keep up, where where do they need to be looking? Yeah, so um, we're going to post all the videos on my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Nico Malali. Um, hopefully my sponsors will be interested in sharing this stuff as well and and pointing people in that direction. And then um, I'll be posting it on my Instagram account as well. Um, not just the video stuff, like I'll be, we'll, we'll have like short clips of the videos and announcing when they're coming out. Like I said, kind of like every three weeks ish. Um, it just depends. Like sometimes when there's a bunch of events, it'll be more, and then there's a break, there's less to cover. Um, but we'll also be going in depth on like just I don't know basic iPhone pictures of what's working on my bike and stuff like that um, on Instagram too. So I don't know. I I think Instagram can be a good tool to like share all this with people sometimes it can be like a distraction or not the best thing for kids to like spend all their time looking at. But if you want to get out the word of the cool stuff you're doing and like what's going on, it I think it can be a useful tool. So I'll be, I'll be sharing the stuff around this project on there. Cool. Nice. Well, we'll put links in the show notes to your Instagram and to the YouTube channel so that people can find that. And then, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm stoked for you, man. It's a super exciting project. It's, uh, it's really cool to see someone doing something so different and putting themselves out there. I'm uh, very much looking forward to seeing how you get on and we'll definitely be catching up throughout the season. So yeah, best of luck. I hope all the preseason goes well and we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, man. Yeah. I'm super proud of this. So, um, I appreciate the opportunity to come on here and talk about it. Like, like I told you, I think downtime is like the perfect place for, for something like this. Cause a lot of the listeners are into tech and they're into racing. And this is like a perfect blend of that. And I don't know, it's, if somebody else was doing this, I'd be, I'd be glued to it. I, I love the idea. So I'm really excited and, and proud to be able to do it. And thank you to the people who are listening and, and following along. Like, it, th- those fans that are interested made it possible for me to go to these sponsors and show value. So, um, if, if you guys like this, like be sure to just keep watching the videos and stuff. And, um, then I can go and show the sponsors that people like them and that we can get more support to do cool stuff. So thanks everybody. And thanks Chris for having me on. Nice one. It's a pleasure, man. Yeah. Best of luck. And, uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. Cool. All right, that's it for this bonus episode with Nico. I really hope you've enjoyed it. A massive thanks to the Strength Factory. If you live a busy life but are looking to make sustainable gains in your fitness this year, then their Over 40s mountain bike program is for you. The program is written so that you can do it in a gym, but you can also do it at home with just a few resistance bands. So whatever life or COVID throws at us in 2022, you can keep going and be in the best possible condition when the dry trails return. So if you want to be better this year, then head over to thestrengthfactory.uk now and check it out. That's thestrengthfactory.uk. Also, a massive thanks to Kotick, a brand that not only makes great bikes, but are also doing good things for our sport and for the planet in general. 
Their customer focus means that they've adapted to all the supply chain disruption by offering rolling chassis builds and offering to swap out components with stuff that you might already have. It really is your bike built for you. So if you want a new bike, they'll do everything they can to make it happen. You can check them out over at kotic.co.uk or give them a call and talk to an actual person about your dream build. If you like print and want a quality mountain bike print product in your life, then the brand new biannual downtime EP is for you. It's a collab with the awesome team over at Misspent Summers. So if you've ever read Hurdy Burly, The World Stage, Spent or Meltdown, then you'll know just how good downtime EP will be. Head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP now to grab a copy of issue one. Also, my full range of merch is ready to go over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. There's t-shirts, sweatshirts, shorts and joggers and all the proceeds go to help improve the show. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you're still listening and have a bit of time, then there's a few things you can do to help out. Firstly, tell your rider mates about the podcast because the more people who listen, the easier it is for me to keep this thing going. Secondly, share the episodes on your social media. It's an awesome way to spread the word and get a bit of buzz going around the episodes. And finally, if you've got a bit of time, then a review over on Apple Podcasts really does help too. All right, we've got another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until then, get out and ride.